0: welcome back intimates thanks for all of your support on patreon making this 2021 season possible this podcast is about all things intimate relationships love connection community consensual non-monogamy kink orgies lovers and of course just general sex i talk with old friends i even meet some new ones I interview people from all walks of life, from recovered addicts, to counselors, sex partners, to perfect strangers. I'd like to thank my hosts, the Musqueam First Nation, as this podcast is recorded on their unceded ancestral territory where I was born and currently live. So settle in for an intimate conversation. Lauren, a recovered alcoholic, tells her story. She talks about her very first year sober, hospital opiates, and a near miss she had very recently with relapse. Awesome. So I'm chatting with my friend Lauren, who has been in recovery for her one year anniversary now. That's exciting. Yeah. April 12th
1: will be a year for me. Oh
0: my goodness. You were like just a couple of weeks away.
1: I know. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's crazy how fast it goes. It also feels like it's been about 5,000 years.
0: Yeah, I've heard the first year <laughs> like it feels like a lot of years, and then after that, it gets easier yeah. and easier and easier.
1: Yeah, it's simultaneously been a joyride and also just like a numbing slog. Yeah. <laughs> so <I think> so. <laughs> yeah
0: I'm reminded so. of Rick and Morty when Rick talks about how painfully boring and tedious going to therapy feels. Yeah. And Susan Sarandon, who voices that guest character, is like, Yeah, like I'm painlessly bored when I'm brushing my teeth or flossing my teeth or wiping my ass. <laughs> but you still have to do those things to maintain your body yeah. and health. And like it's the same thing with mental health.
1: Yeah, it sure is. And um, I think for me, it was half excruciating um, and then a quarter boring and, and monotonous <laughs> and then a quarter like extremely joyful breakthroughs of oh my god
0: that's a good mix
1: (laughs) and i think a quarter is pretty fantastic it's
0: it's kind of the weirdest thing when i see really functional people i just like (laughs) see people that are just like functional and they've been functional since they're like 18 and i
1: kind of just want to be like
0: get the fuck out of my face
1: (laughs) kind of sociopath is just normal all the time like
0: your parents were like They were like good attachment figures. They never like abandoned you after sports or like didn't come pick you up. Like they were just like on time for you. And like when you needed them, they gave you good advice and were loving and supportive. Like get fucked.
1: Yeah. I don't know. These people are uh, strange animals to consider.
0: I mean, I'm glad we have them in the world. I just sometimes, sometimes it's like lemon juice in your eye to just see. Oh my people being so successful so young and just like and they're sharing (laughs) advice with other people and you're just like fuck like I didn't even pick up on that until I was like 28
1: (laughs) yeah it's on the flip side though too there's also I remember you know those shiny happy people and I'd be you know coming home at you know I don't know 9 or 10 a.m. on a Saturday just like from a you know I haven't gone to bed yet just been getting out to trouble and Mm -hmm. like walking and seeing these people who are all shiny and happy and they're going to the farmer's market and I'd just be like, Oh my God, like, how do you do that? How do you exist? You're perfect. And you know, now on the flip side, I go to farmer's markets all the time, but that doesn't mean I'm not having a mental breakdown like constantly. I'm just like crying at the grapefruit stand pretending to be normal. Yeah. So
0: <laughs> that is a vivid portrait.
1: At, uh, yeah. I think people are pretty good at pretending that everything's okay. Definitely, I, I'm. I'm still not good at that. But that's not a bad thing. Okay. Like it's. I'm. I'm off. I was just gonna
0: say it's not a bad thing yeah. that you are bad at pretending. Like,
1: yeah. Like people in my life don't need to guess how I'm feeling. Yeah, I'll walk into a room and I'll be like, I'm okay. <laughs>
0: like <laughs> neither. <laughs> just reminds me of Rod from Avenue Q being like, I'm not being
1: defensive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's you don't need to guess my mood i'm never just gonna be like i'm fine you know if you're close to me i'm gonna be just like i'm the best right now because i deal in extremes i'm either great or i'm horrible
0: my my niece was like kind of beating me up today with a stuffed owl that i got her um that says who loves you because apparently dad jokes are in (laughs) um but i mean in fairness she is like a child like she's like i think six or seven like she's really young Um, so so she still is like, oh, that's really funny. And I'm like, ah, it's going to wear out in about a, (laughs) give it, give it a couple of days. It won't be. Um, but she had like taken this stuffed owl that I had given her and she was like saying bad owl and hitting me with the owl. And I was like, I'm good with this. So I just like, I had gloves (laughs) on and I was just trying to like block her hitting me with his owl and she was hitting me with (laughs) the owl. And I was like, and my, my sister, her mom like looked over and was like, what? You know, Victor's pretty good with consent. Like I think they've got this.
1: <laughs> she really woke up and chose violence that morning. Yeah, huh?
0: no, like my niece is yeah. in my opinion, probably a sadist. Um but yeah. we won't we, we won't know for another like twenty years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> It'll be fun to find out. I mean for her. <laughs> but
1: yeah. Yeah, well yeah. That's what I mean. Yeah.
0: <laughs> 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 Um, oh, yeah, so she basically was just whacking me with this owl and I was doing my best not to get injured. Um, and I was like, you know, I'm okay with roughhousing. I don't have any nephews and I have no issues with this behavior happening to, you know, show up in one of my nieces. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I was happy with the
1: roughhousing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and right. my sister, yeah, pretty much the only my sister did mention it at going. one point,
0: she's like, make sure you're setting your boundaries. And I was like, I'm good with this. And she was like, okay.
1: That's awesome. I love that setting boundaries man what a what a, what a concept. concept i was just gonna say the same I thing in my life now <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know what i was reading recently about boundary setting that i found super helpful um it's this book polysecure So normally I don't actually like attachment theory because it's so monogamy centric and it's so focused on Mm -hmm. like, this is just how broken you are and you're just going to be like this forever. Mm -hmm. And like, these are the ways that you need to have people support you so you can manage with your coping style and looking at insecure attachment through the lens of like an actual therapist who wrote a book Mm -hmm. and the therapist isn't monogamous. All of a sudden, there was this just like parting in the clouds where um, Jessica Fern is the therapist. She's talking about um, she's talking about how insecure attachment can be a property of a relationship, even if a person has a preference. It's like you can have different attachment styles in different relationships. And I was like, yeah, this makes way more sense. I like, agree. I totally resonate with this. And then she's talking yeah. about, like, healing from trauma and, like, how healing from trauma changes your attachment style. But you have mm-hmm. to be able to face all of the attachment trauma you had as a kid growing up. And I'm like, all of this makes yeah. complete sense. Why did no one tell me that this, this oh. school of thought is actually dynamic? And it's like, oh, no one told me because the only people I've ever heard talk about it are people who have been to therapy, not therapists.
1: Right. And they wow. write blogs That's
0: and then people read their
1: blogs amazing.
0: and then we just get this like pretty accurate, but somewhat skewed version, or at least I did. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Cause I definitely felt very personally attacked by my attachment. <laughs> um,
0: Didn't we
1: all Very personally attached? I was like, well, there's my childhood. Fuck you. Yep. Like, <laughs> And it's, it's true. Like what you said, it's kind of just like, well, this is how you're going to feel forever for everybody. Right. Like, and i'm like well that's a this that's is just a, a bummer bum totally like, yeah so i would be super interested in reading that absolutely it's it's fantastic
0: just... the middle section of the book talks a little more about non monogamy and like decoupling the idea mm-hmm. of attachment from necessarily being a single person um yeah actually kind of the opposite the the thesis i would say is that i mean there's not just one but when talking about non monogamy it's that when you know when we're looking at children right and we were all children once um When we were children, we didn't need to have two attachment figures. I mean, it's great if you have two or more attachment figures, but Mm. we didn't always, you know, exist as nuclear families. Like, that just isn't how human beings, like, literally went through the last 40,000 years of microevolution. Like, our social evolution as communities has never been nuclear families until very, very recently. So it's like, Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a reason we have the saying it takes a village to raise a child. And it's because if you try and make one woman do it, she's going to kill herself. (laughs) Like it's, (laughs) it's not fair fair. to make any one parent try and raise a child on their own. Like, especially in the first three to six months, like you need to sleep.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay, no so it's just like and people aren't perfect, you know they're working on the program, and they receive from their right for goodness
0: and the biggest gift you can give to your kids if you had a shitty parenthood is working on your own attachment trauma so that you can be more of a like securely attached parent for them,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: that's probably the thesis oh,
1: secure secure attachment types what a
0: what a concept yeah i don't even believe they exist that
1: great white buffalo. That yeah
0: that's definitely the white whale i'm just like ang- <laughs> angrily pursuing being like a securely attached person yeah just feel like I my know. bitter traumatized uh, yeah. child self on the inside is my captain ahab that's just like <laughs> i will get to that white whale I will harpoon you. <laughs> that's right i will harpoon you uh, and drag you kicking so and bad. screaming into my relationship <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's healthy, right? Being you know, a super angry whale captain in a, in a relationship. Oh That's my god, fun.
0: it's fantastic!
1: I uh, yeah, I I have a sneaking suspicion my partner is actually a secure attachment. Um, and uh, I don't really know how that makes me feel. blast <laughs> blessed for sure. I'm trying. To, I'm but, trying to uh, remember
0: which animated series. Oh. it'll come to me. I want yeah, to say it's... I, I'm mostly
1: sorry, go ahead. Used most of the time. Sorry. Uh yeah, I just I, I'm just mostly confused when I kind of fly off the handle and fly into weird um uh, fugue states uh in in a new relationship and he just handles it completely calmly and I'm just like how are you not freaking the out right now? The only time
0: I've heard the term fugue state is in the movie Nymphomaniac.
1: <laughs> That's very saying oh god
0: (laughs) it is the only time i've heard that phrase is like literally like her father goes into fugue states and i'm like that's neat okay i didn't know this was a thing yeah
1: Yeah. oh i know anyway sorry what were you you oh it's
0: it's that um when you said that your partner was probably securely attached i just got this image Mm -hmm. of farnsworth in my head being like tell them i hate them but i'm obviously not being serious
1: (laughs) (laughs) oh man the best conversation I've ever had about attachment. So yeah, you, you kind of have
0: to get bitter about the child abuse at a certain point because oh. you're just like it's fuck. Just... Yeah. Um. So I mean. anyway, so yeah, so Polysecure was really awesome. It was, mm. I I really appreciated it. I'm actually going to go back and reread it because I listened to it as an audiobook. And normally I start out at like 1.5 or 1.75. I made the mistake of starting this at 1.75 because I was like, I have read a lot of books on non-monogamy, and yeah. like you know, from like Sex at Dawn to like Through the More Than Two and that was all the rage and then like all the stuff about Francis Vogue mm-hmm. came out. Um and there's just been book after book after book, like I indie go goed Thorn Tree Press way back when um, because I just mm-hmm. wanted more books, more material. And then now there's even more audiobooks coming out about it. Like there's more resources than ever. Oh. So finally, this book comes out and it's the It book. Everyone's talking about this book. And I'm like, I don't want to read it because it's just going to be another 101 polyamory book that I really could do without. But I'm like, all right, fine. Yeah. I'll listen to it because people said it had attachment styles in it. And I was like, Ugh, I don't want to hear again yeah. <laughs> how like. Non monogamy is fundamentally not like you can't have secure attachment. I'm like it just sounds like people who aren't non monogamous wrote it, and they did. So yeah. then, sure enough, yeah. this is a non monogamous person writing it who's also a therapist. I'm like, all right, fine. So I went and I listened to it, yeah. and like I was just like struck by like the gravity of the discussion of attachment styles. It was on a really educated, really medium to high level. Like it was comprehensible but thorough. And I was just like, wow, there's a lot I really didn't know about attachment styles. Like, I can't believe how little I understood about them. Like, the whole notion of it being, you know, you have this secure or you have, like, you know, anxious or, like, avoidant or anxious avoidant. Um, like, the idea mm-hmm. of there being, like, these archetypes isn't even quite right. Like, there are continua, like, that you exist on where like your anxiety is on a continuum and your avoidance is on a continuum. And yeah, you can talk about it like there are quadrants and like you can show up in those quadrants, but you can also talk about it as existing on a spectrum and all of it just came more into focus for me. I'm like, that makes so much more sense to me.
1: Honestly, in regards to human emotion and and relationships and attachments, I think it would be, presumptuous not to put it on a spectrum yeah
0: that's i mean that's how i feel you too know? but i'm one of those like yeah. non-binary people that is like break all the binaries smash all the categories
1: <laughs> yeah i'm also yeah, a relationship
0: anarchist so everything's on a spectrum for me
1: yeah there you go yeah i mean i'm 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 not on that you know the anarchist side but i'm on that sure, empathetic. Sure. Of, you know I can see it, you know? I mean,
0: for me, like (laughs) the anarchist side really just follows the same as the political philosophy, which is to say, it's not that I believe in no relationship rules. I just believe mm -hmm. that you should negotiate the rules you want with the person you're dating. And for a lot Mm -hmm. of people, like the archetypes work. Like if you're in the box of boyfriend, girlfriend for het folks, you know, or boyfriend, boyfriend, Mm -hmm. girlfriend, girlfriend, whatever, um, that's fine like that just works for some folks if you're in the engaged box or the married box or the married with children like that just works for some people and like a fair number but i think one of the advantages of having more you know anarchist folks be like why is that box constructed like that? What if I want to be, you know, married, but then also practice non-monogamy? Or what if I want to be not married ever and practice monogamy? Or, you know, like, what if the most important person to making decisions in my relationship is, like, a non-sexual life partner, and then I also have sexual relationships with people I care about, but, like, we don't join finances. That's for me and my best friend only. Yeah. there's just there's that's... so much more variety there's so many more shades there's just so much more richness to life and the way we can construct our lives and i think that's really what's at the core of relationship anarchy not prioritizing sexual or romantic relationships as special above any other kind of relationship mm-hmm. versus i love the that. baseline assumption like I, I... of monogamy and polyamory is that there is something unique central and like attachment oriented around your quote-unquote primary human
1: Hmm. yeah I, I love it, I really do. I love that, everything that you just described. Like, yeah, have you heard the that. good word? I, of I guess... Relationship anarchy. <laughs> I have. I've. Um, you know, I, I'm one of those. I'm. I don't really know for myself. I've tried both. I've tried monogamy, and I've tried non-monogamy. Sure. I never really delved too deep, um, or kind of carved out a box. I mean, I myself, was actually really. joking. I'm,
0: I'm not trying to convert you to anything. <laughs> yeah.
1: No, I don't think you could. I don't, I'm not a person who can really be converted that's great. Yeah. from one conversation. You go
0: through a certain amount of you know? shit, and then you're just like, I think I'm going to trust myself yeah. now.
1: Yeah, at a certain point, I'm kind of like, I've heard enough from both sides. I'm just going to do whatever feels good. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> for me, I mean, besides from drugs. That, that didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> it felt good for a while. Then I'm like, why does everything else feel horrible now in comparison? Yeah. <laughs> so. It's... Yeah, but it's definitely something that is really super interesting to me, and I and I feel at at certain cores of certain different things, I definitely have the capacity to be a bit of an anarchist. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: yeah. So you're one yeah, year so, sober.
1: Yes, my one year sober, and we can talk a bit if you want about my near relapse and the reality of living in uh, going transitioning from early recovery into maintaining long-term sobriety because that is something that I am currently living in.
0: <laughs> yeah. That is the Zap Brannigan moment right there. Kiff, let's wrap. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's talk about yeah, that. Yeah.
1: So, yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, it's really nice putting a plan together and just being like, I hope that I never have to put this plan to use, but if I ever do, I hope this is a solid plan. And I was able to do that with my relapse prevention plan. Wow. Because when you are in, you know, your first nine, 10 months, I think I was just hitting 11 months when this happened, you know, and, and it's been obviously up and down, but you've, you know, you've, you've dealt with cravings, you've dealt with emotional kind of ups and downs, highs and lows, mood swings, all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, fundamentally, you're not going to use you're strong on that you've got a strong support you know you kind of feel like it's um just impossible to kind of get into the place of like I need to go and use now I don't give a fuck I'm throwing everything Mm -hmm. away my life is burning down and nothing of it matters um and you know it's one thing to kind of um sit in treatment and listen to the guy talk about how a relapse happens in stages and you probably, you know, you need to really recognize because before you actually physically relapse or put your purse on your shoulder to go to the liquor store, you have mentally and emotionally relapsed long before. Um, and that's very right. True. And I hadn't thought of that, but um,
0: that makes perfect sense now that you're saying it.
1: Yeah. Generally the moment that you say, fuck it, I'm getting a drink. You made your mind up weeks, if not months ago. Um, or you've been ignoring the signs that your mental, like, um, walls Mm -hmm. have, you know, you, you haven't been maintaining what you need to be maintaining. Um, and, and I just keep coming down again and again to humility with this thing. Really. It's really the only thing that kind of gets me to keep going Is just take it as humbling and build it up stronger and keep going. And for me, what happened, um, you know, several things happened all at once, um, that i really leaned on as excuses to fall apart right but the fact remains that it's just life this is just going to happen it's just you know bad things are just going to keep happening mm-hmm. you know uh, good things are going to keep happening too but life doesn't just like stop coming at you just because you're about to hit when you're clean and could you just not You know, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. it's just not work. so what ended up happening for me um was i was doing well i was doing strong You know, it was inconceivable to me um, that I would ever want to put my program down and pick up a drug or a drink. And then I was hospitalized three times within a week or within 10 days. And I was given a massive amount of morphine on my last visit. I was there for a day and a night and then another day. Why did they give you morphine? Sorry? Why did they give you morphine? I needed it I was in such horrendous pain that I could not so the first hospital visit no painkillers second hospital visit a a bit of painkillers third hospital visit firemen lifted me from my bed in my bathrobe put me in and I got ambulance the whole deal um wow it was horrible it was 10 out of 10 pain and I was at that point I held out on the narcotics for the first two years the third one, you know, I'm one of those people walking around being like, I'm clean and sober. I'm never taking painkillers. I'll just deal with the pain. But then you hit 10 out of 10 pain. You're like, fuck that. Give me the morphine. I'm <laughs> You're down. like,
0: morphine is not um, my drug of choice. I'm not going to get like, I'm not going to become exactly. like an opium addict for the love of God. Oh
1: my God, but it so doesn't matter. Right. It really doesn't matter. Right. I don't like morphine, but I'll, I'll go into it. But basically what had happened is I torn an, an abdominal wall. I had two discs out of place, and I also had uh, extreme gastritis oh all at the same God. time. In the same- of my body it was all in the center core of my body and like the first hospital visit it was the two discs and then the second hospital visit it was the gastritis and the third hospital visit it was those two things plus an autonommen abdominal, abdominal wall and the pain was so bad that I just could not function so and they couldn't figure out and basically when your pain like my pain level had been rising and rising and rising and the thing about pain is there comes a certain point where you just can't get on top of it yeah you know like One shot of morphine is not going to do anything. It took them 24 hours to get the pain under control. Yeah. Um, And in that time, I was given the largest, like, five milligrams, like, every three hours. Jesus. And what ended up happening so, so, so quickly was that obsession started coming back. I it's it's really I'm not I'm almost grateful it happened because it shows me how quickly that obsession comes back and how quickly that cycle of addiction comes online. When you go from straight up, I take a Tylenol occasionally. That's it. I'm done to when is the nurse coming back? What can I do or say to get more immediately? I need that feeling. It, it was like it was almost instantaneous wow. it was like as soon as the pain started getting a little tiny bit better i had room in my head for the fact that every time they put that shit into my iv the world fell away i didn't have any worries and i wanted anything to get that back i would do anything so i wasn't begging for it i legitimately was in terrible pain right. so you know i wasn't manipulating my way into getting but more but the compulsion that i certainly did not Take you know, once I didn't need it as much, I certainly didn't say no. Um, I don't consider this a relapse. Um this was necessary, you know. Um and they did send me home after uh, I think I was there for like thirty something hours. Sure. They sent me home with muscle relaxers and with a bottle of opiates. Um, four milligram dilated. Wow. And yeah. And you know, my partner was with me the whole time. He's just so wonderful through all of this. Um, and I I called myself out pretty hard. And I'm grateful I did that because if I hadn't called myself out, like, you know, I could have said, please don't prescribe me these pain medications, but I didn't. Um, and it was half because I was still in horrible pain and half because, I don't know, maybe I'll want Right, them, Right? These are the insidious thoughts that happen. So then
0: you told your partner.
1: Um, so I told my partner. I took one of those pills. I caught home on a Wednesday, I took one of those pills and I have not taken another one and I gave it to somebody to keep from me, not physically in my house. That's nice. So I took the necessary precautions because I, you know, I'm aware I'm super, you know, I'm not going to let myself go back into those kinds of behaviors where I'm lying and manipulating. Right. Right. But just being able to like have these thoughts, not acting on them, but have these thoughts come back that I haven't had for so long was like, oh shit. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> what do I need to do? You know, like this isn't good. So I called myself out on it, talked to my sponsor a lot, checked in, did a ton more recovery work, you know, was super honest with my step groups or step group and my support groups, had a lot of people checking in on me. So I was just starting to get over this and start to deal with this when a week later, unfortunately, um, I dealt with an extremely traumatic family crisis. Right. And, it, and my, my brother relapsed. In a really bad way. Oof. And unfortunately, like he's a heroin addict. Mm-hmm. And um, unfortunately, what ended up happening was he went into a state of psychosis. He was drinking as well. And um, it was, I had to go and deal with him. And ultimately, um, I ended up having to call the cops. Wow. And have him taken away. And the ambulance. And I also had to tackle him to the ground. And I hurt him. But, you know, the cop told me afterwards, if I hadn't done that, you know, I could have saved his life. He was not in a state to be out in the world. Right. Right. And I hold no, you know, no anger, no resentment, no nothing towards him. I know that wasn't him in that state. He doesn't really remember much of what happened. But, right. But, um, and then the next day, um we had to go in and clean his room out. I found so much heroin in his room and alcohol and all this stuff, and you know i'm I'm having to clean it all out uh, and that was really hard Ugh. um yeah, and then it was just two straight weeks of how of him having to be at my parents' house. He like overdosed on. He went into precipitous withdrawal. He was in and out of the hospitals. He's going through the rapid access clinic, detoxing at my parents' house. My parents are falling apart. It's just like basically it's what we'd all feared for a long time happening, Um, and a lot me taking on a lot of the responsibility and trying to help. Right. Um, And so I was just kind of compartmentalizing everything and just trying to deal with everything Mm -hmm. with just having had a pretty major shock to my sobriety. And I just kind of started letting things go. I wasn't going to hold the meetings that I wanted to go to. I wasn't keeping up with my work with my sponsor. I wasn't reaching out for help as much as I should have because inside, like internally, I was absolutely just like breaking down. But I had to be strong, right? I had to be strong for my family and try to help them. Um, yeah, so, uh, there was, you know, how you can just be like dealing with so much and then it just takes one little tiny thing to just kind of like, like someone's on you and then you just flip the table over. (laughs) That's kind of what happened. And I went from being like, you know, I'm not going to break. I'm not going to use to having one little thing happen and just losing. I just lost my mind. And I was literally looking for anything. I was, like, going through the house. Um, it, and it's like something just takes over your brain. You're just not in the driver's seat anymore, man. Yeah. And that
0: compulsion. It's
1: scary. Yeah, it's really scary because you're like, well, what about all this work you've done? What about the relationships you've built in your life? What about your job that's, like, a really good job? What about... You know, all these things Yeah, like, compulsion replaces
0: not... everything like that's something that's yeah. hard yes. to explain to people who haven't experienced compulsion in their mm-hmm.
1: lives. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so luckily I was able to put my relapse prevention plan to work and it worked. So when I couldn't find anything in the house, I said, OK, I'm going to look short. And I knew that if I walked out of the house, it's done. Wow. You know?
0: That's that's scary.
1: I, yeah, I was terrified. So what I ended up doing was I got dressed to go, but before I left, I called somebody. Oh. Um, and that person was able to talk to me in minute by minute increments. Right. Of getting me to stay. Like literally until somebody. Taking it minute by minute.
0: Like let's just talk Absolutely. about the next sixty seconds. Like you can do sixty yeah. seconds.
1: Yeah, that is where it's at when you're in that space. Yeah. Um, and then basically she just kept me on the phone until someone could pretty much physically come there. And that is the reason I didn't realize.
0: Wow. Now that is a support yeah. system that worked.
1: No kidding. And another factor that worked, you know, I, I don't really know what exactly higher power I, I've been able sure. to believe in and connect with, but I did pray for help. I just went, I I need help right now. And then I had a panic attack that was so debilitating. I physically could not put up hands on. So that's kind of like... I'm seeing that as kind of like, well, they're not going anywhere now. <laughs> so even, you know, even when I still had the compulsion to go, I physically couldn't. I um, find it so,
0: so interesting, the pieces of our minds that subconsciously work against our conscious decision making when we know mm-hmm. that what we're doing is not in integrity with who we are.
1: Absolutely. And I think that's what exactly what happened. It's just in, in the, you know, the same sense that disassociation helps people get through trauma. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, and then it took me, uh, it took me a few weeks to kind of get through that and a lot of support from a lot of people. And what I've taken away from that was, you know, I glided through a year. You know, um, almost right up to a year. I was about 11 months at that point. And, like, you know, I'd been through ups and downs. I'd lost a job. I'd had family stuff going on. I'd have hard times. But I hadn't, like, faced a really huge thing like that. Yeah. You know, something that was really emotionally destabilizing. Um,
0: and so soon after you'd had, you know, family <laughs> issues and that you'd had the exposure to opiates in the hospital. Absolutely. Like, it was right? kind of like a one, two, three really quickly.
1: That's exactly what it was. And I wouldn't want to go through any of it again, but I'm glad it happened because at the end of the day, uh, I got through it sober, you know? And so it's just made me stronger on the other side, knowing that the support systems I have in place work, you know? And, um, and like I said before, humility, like, you know, I I have to just be humbled again and again in the face of this thing. uh, And, and just let it really soak into my bones for me to be able to, like, appreciate it and and go f- go on from there being like, okay, I can get up. I can keep doing this. I'm
0: so happy you stayed sober.
1: Yeah, me too. Like, and it really hit me, like, the next day when I was in, you know in bed with my, with my partner. And he's like, I'm really proud of you. And I said, well, yeah, thanks. Me too. And he's like, what, where would you be right now if that had happened? And I, I really thought about it. You know, you can play the tape for it. And I knew where I'd be and it was, it would have been really dark and it would have been really hard for me to get back to where I am if I came back. Right. Yeah.
0: I think it's, I think it's really easy to pick up where you left off and be not necessarily at rock bottom, but like it doesn't take, too long to lose the resources you have and be at rock bottom again
1: well and i mean thankfully and i'm touching wood right now uh I, relapse has not been a part of my my story but for the people whose it is you know um it's, it's a lot you don't you don't start off or you, you don't start relapped you off you're you go much worse yeah i would believe a lot i would believe that and and it's really hard to come back in and i think you know once you've kind of made that decision to just say fuck it uh, I mean, I can only imagine how hard it would be for me to face, to face that, you know? it's hard not to
0: like, it's hard as an outsider. Cause like, I obviously have experienced a lot of compulsion with like, um, you know, I've experienced eating disorders and like, mm-hmm. I'm definitely no stranger to compulsion. Um, but mm-hmm. I've never experienced like narcotic or alcohol addiction or abuse. Mm-hmm. And that's, yeah. that's a whole other level. Like that's just, I'm not even going to pretend that any of my experiences are, you know, on that level. They're just different experiences.
1: Yeah, and it's like not even just the act of using or drinking; it's the whole mindset that goes along mm-hmm. with it. Because it's it's literally falling into a different life that I'd left behind, and the thought of falling back into that, to me, is like really terrifying. Yeah. So yeah, all I all I can say is that I'm I'm happy to to still be sober, and it just shows me that you know life is not going to be easy. There I am thinking I'm going to make it to a year no problem. Right, you're like I'm
0: crushing it right now. <laughs>
1: yeah yeah and then you know one, two, three that 's as easy as I could be back there, and um it also helps serve reminders for me that this is really real. I think it's really easy for people to go about their lives with something in their life that could easily take them out sure. uh, and have that be kind of in remission mm-hmm. but it 's still there and and you know the re- the reality for me of knowing that this is something that can very easily kill me and wants to kill me my addiction wants me dead it's, and it's getting stronger the longer that I stay sober oh interesting and, and that's that's what they say and I believe that that is very that it's very true it's a very cliched AA thing that your addiction's doing push-ups in the parking lot while you're getting clean.
0: interesting it's almost like getting and, more desperate to be back in control
1: absolutely and it's trying to find any little insidious way to come back into your life Um, and I, I I can attest that that's very true. I mean, for me, it was a bit of a more obvious way, but there's also different ways, you know, if you're happy, if you're complacent, you know, so yeah, it just serves as a really good reminder to me that this is, this is for real. This is for keeps, (laughs) you know, this is my life and I can't put this down. I can't put the program down for a minute. So yeah, it's been a very humbling experience. I've definitely, and I'm glad to be.
0: I've definitely had um, on the other side of it. Yeah, absolutely. I was gonna say mm-hmm. that I've I've had other addicts on um, my podcast. Um, just as I'm like learning to cope with um, compulsion and eating disorders, I've just sort of been talking more with like addicts that have. I don't want to say real problems because I don't want to like dis. Um, <laughs> don't want to minimize what I'm experiencing, but I also just like no,
1: don't don't imposter syndrome. Sure, yourself. sure
0: sure which is something i do very well i'm like not an imposter yeah. at impostering myself i'm good at that <laughs> yeah i feel you it's like the one thing i don't but... have imposter syndrome about is how well i can give myself <laughs> imposter
1: syndrome oh my God. that needs to be on a motivational poster oh yeah that definitely way. that's that's good
0: yeah. um yeah. but but uh... but yeah he, um the other person who i um interviewed ash has just like has relapsed pretty much not consistently but regularly and repeatedly throughout the last 10 years and is sober Mm -hmm. right now and is like i never want to be not sober again the first month is the fucking worst
1: (laughs) yeah yeah, it really is you're just oh you're just so batshit insane in the first month like i just remember you know sitting in meetings just bawling my eyes out in the corner of the room anytime anyone even mentioned relapse casually like how are you people just talking about this shit like i'm gonna die you don't get it yeah it's, you know we've been there for three months so like yeah we get it chill out you're fine
0: <laughs> you know? totally i mean i haven't oh, yeah. i haven't personally experienced it but yes that sounds very yeah. much in line with what other addicts have told me
1: oh yeah oh my gosh yeah it's it's not fun but it's it's part of it and you know what like they say, my worst day in sobriety is better than my best day in addiction. And that—that that is very true. Even when I thought I was having the time of my life. yeah. You know?
0: It's funny how perspective changes so much by so much.
1: Yeah. Perspective is, I feel like I've grown 15 years. I feel like I've gone through, like I started using when I was about 14 15 just and, and well drinking was my first real you know um love affair I started drinking at that age and and like a lot of other people with this um disorder you're, you kind of remain emotionally stunted and, mm. and you don't really grow um once you move on to and use drinking and drugs as your form of you know being in the world and I feel that to my bones i feel that because as soon as i got sober i felt like i was 15 again and i feel like i've had to mature through 15 years of life in a year and that does not make for a super stable ride sometimes yeah (laughs) especially in the first couple of months
0: that sounds super challenging and like there must have been like a lot of motivational posters
1: um yeah (laughs) there weren't motivational posters there was just a lot of pep talk from the mirror um being like just don't cry on the train today. Let's just do that. That's a goal. Just don't openly weep in front of strangers oh my God, that today. Is,
0: that, that is, a, for in some places in my life, that has been, like, no can do, good buddy.
1: <laughs> There's still some days that the no can do. So I'm like, just don't go on the train today. Cry in an Uber. You're good.
0: Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> I totally feel like <laughs> I'm like, just don't cry on the train today. Like, there have been moments in my life where I've just been like... <laughs> I, I hear you. I hear that you want that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's good to laugh about yeah, it. Yeah, you kind of have to. Anyway, either that or cry. Bad, but but... <laughs> Yeah. God, I've done enough of that. I'm good. But I also enjoy crying um, yeah. when it's needed. Yeah. It's such an emotional release. Very cathartic. Yeah, your body literally being like, you need to purge this out of you. Yep. So.
0: I honestly, like, I think I, I don't know whether it's familiarity but i really like being intensely sad mm-hmm. and i think yeah, it's just because i was chronically depressed and suicidally depressed for like the first 30 years of my life basically
1: yeah and it's like a comfortable pair of arms falling back oh the my app. god like for, for snatches of moments absolutely i am
0: so comfortable with the depths of depression and the like potential oh, lethality oh. that comes with it i'm like I can see myself, uh, yeah, in, like, a really, like, oh, that's a really unhealthy thought.
1: Yep, yep, I know. (laughs) I completely understand what you're talking about. Oh, my God. I'm, like,
0: I have a partner who loves me who I love deeply and intensely and, like, am very happy with. Like, I finally Mm -hmm. have a job that's full-time and mostly stable. I'm, like... What do I have to complain about? But like, you know, like I even work from home during the pandemic. Like I've, I've taken really shitty situations and being laid off and like made them really decent for myself. And also yep. with a lot of help from luck, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. But it's like, I'm at this place of like jitteriness on and just kind of anxiety that is yeah. that is yeah it's like it's it's very nostalgic for something but I feel like we're <laughs> getting onto a second topic so why don't we end this one here yeah. and we can talk about pandemics right. next session sounds good so how did you like it intimates discuss your ideas with the community at facebook.com forward slash intimate victor or tweet at me at intimate victor or follow my instagram at guess what intimate victor pretty easy right if you can spare the cost of coffee to help keep the show going, head to patreon.com forward slash Victor We hugely appreciate your help to continue making intimate conversations for you and yours to enjoy. If not, you can always help other intimacy nerds find the podcast by leaving us a review anywhere online, especially iTunes. The opening music is Gymnopédie Number no. 1 by Eric Satie, and this closing music is on hold for you made of algorithmically generated notes and chords and played by an AI saxophonist. Both are provided royalty-free, courtesy of Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Thanks so much for your time, and may all of your most important relationships be filled with intimate interactions. Be well.